Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, where we coach you in the Word. We're glad to have you from wherever you are listening. Um, We want to welcome in all of those of you from the United States of America and those that are our international listeners. We thank you. We ask you, uh, uh, we welcome your comments and questions and conversation through springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel. Uh, direct messaging on Facebook. We uh, appreciate you. We pray that the, the Word of God blesses you and that uh, uh, our teaching is uh, helping you develop in your spiritual walk. Today we're going into session three of Have We Determined to Disapprove of the Man Who Was Approved by God and of His Works? Well, we're going to go back with our foundation text of Acts chapter 2 verse 22 and uh, then uh, get into our message for today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see our ears that we can hear and our heart that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us and then uh, may we apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Father, we give you glory. We ask that Jesus would speak to us through the Holy Spirit, reveal to us what we need to know, do, understand, and demonstrate. We'll receive it and release it unto your people. We give you glory for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man of the Godhead. Amen and amen. Acts 2.22, ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God, among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. So, the issue with man has not, nor will it ever be, for the majority, that we lived a life of self-denial from the world. It will be that we blended so closely with the world that it became impossible to identify the difference in a Christian and a non-believer. So if you reject the message of things that God has approved as portions for the growth, development, and maturity of the believer that have all been provided by grace, then you really are rejecting the plan that God has for you in the eternal economy. Now in verse 15 of Acts chapter 2, Peter says, For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He's talking about the things that he is in a couple of verses going to relay that God has placed his approval approval upon. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants, and on my handmaidens, I'll pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now let's take a closer look here at verse 18. As you see, it reads, servants and handmaids. And you think that he is referring to a class of people. Of course, in a day of social justice, 
and the cry for of racism, our minds might rush to this judgment. But that's not what we see here. Why, you would ask? Because we know how this relates to the acts and deeds of Jesus Christ our Lord. We also know that the very act of which we are discussing is the final act that has been approved by God in the pre-planned approval of the acts of Jesus. So how do servants and handmaidens apply here? When Jesus Christ was exalted as Lord, the believer who follows him into this action has the Lordship of Jesus Christ replicated in him by the Holy Spirit. When he does this replication, servitude or the position that would be equated to a handmaiden is established for the believer. They come into the servants service of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. They lose themselves and become the operative of Jesus Christ who has become their Lord. They have nothing in themselves any longer. They do not possess opinions, ideas, wants, desires, or affections. They simply operate to carry forward the demands, commands, desires, and directions of the one to whom they serve. So if we look at Peter's remark without insight, well, we readily see the possibility of this referring to divisions of classes. But if we look into it with insight, what we really see is portion control. What you would say? Well, look at Ephesians 4, 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ Jesus. We identify that the, the, the position to which one attains as he is manufactured in, in, and created in Christ Jesus. Look at Ephesians 4.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. This manufacturing has been fit in advance for us to go around and to be able to live in. He provided the portion <coughs> as he produces the concluded acts on his way back to his original position in the Godhead. We, by the exaltation of Jesus Christ, by God, have been fit in advance with the ability to become his servants or handmaidens. What has it fit us with? Well, it's taken us out of the areas where our faith is required, as it was in the first four acts of Jesus Christ and placed us into the place where his faith becomes our method of operation. Look at what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, watch it, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you see it? and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Clearly, we see that as Paul exposed the acts of Jesus, he found a place 
where his faith had to work. It was a faith that was attached with grace and the blood, but then he found a place where his faith was absorbed by the faith of a new and stronger object. It was the faith of Jesus Christ. He knew how to operate on a promise. He knew how to overcome. He knew how to defeat all of the sources of evil. He was declared to be the Lord over it all. Shortly I'm going to offer a sermon entitled Sacrificial Faith. This will become more clear to you as I share that message with you. Now Paul could operate from a new faith perspective. It would be the faith that he would use to place all of his active faith in another active faith, a greater active faith, and that would be the faith of his Lord. When he did, he became a servant. As a servant, he could deliver a servant's message. He would demonstrate a servant's designation of the ruler's request. How would he do so? Jesus told us in Mark 16 how that would happen. We would use his name, and when his name was pronounced from the tongue of a servant or a handmaiden, there was a depth of presence and power that would produce a paralyzation to demonic activity. The attacks of the devil, both inside and out, and bring recovery to the sick. Along with this came the surrender of the tongue. The servant's tongue had no value if left in condition of its class in the earthly realm. It only took significance when it was speaking from the direction of the king and from the direction of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now the tongue had authority. The tongue would be heard in all three worlds. The demonic would say, Jesus I know, Paul I know, and Mike I know. This was reproduced in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. We fail to see it because we refuse to coordinate the entirety of the plan that was approved by God. In effect, we disapprove of the plan that God has from the foundation of the world already approved. What's the outcome? Well, it's a tragic effect of weakness, being beggarly, poor, bruised, broken, blind, and held in bondage. So when Joel spoke these words that Peter is repeating, he may have been unaware of their implications in the spiritual content concerning the work of Jesus. But in the plan approved by God, they were words well spoken and words that show that his prophecy has a depth of anointing that could only come as the Holy Spirit spoke from the direction of the Godhead. Verse 19, And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. And it will come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter uses these scriptures to enlist the understanding of the signs of the times in which this action by Jesus was to be completed. The sending of the Spirit 
begins the spiritual spiral towards the coming of Jesus Christ. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified. The work was completed on the cross at the hands of the Jews, but the action was approved by God for the release of forgiveness that would allow man to be healed in his spirit. When this work was established by the death of Jesus, grace was exposed. Man could believe upon the work and experience a rebirth in his spirit. He could be healed and reconnected to God. If they had known the plan of God, they would have never crucified Jesus because the entire plan of salvation was released on the behalf of mankind by this action of crucifixion. They wanted it to be done, and God had planned for it to be done. This is the greatest moment in the plan of God because it revealed the pathway for man to become truly sons and daughters of God. God would not plan to use the Gentiles for this exercise. No. He would use his own chosen people. Why? Because they were rebellious and stiff-necked. Because they had become dogmatic in their religious views. Because they were debaters who lived to be seen as holy. Because they had rejected the one who the entire Old Testament had pointed them toward. They had rejected their own benefactor. Isn't this the message of this day as well? We've disapproved of the message of which God approved of. We've made the determination as to what we choose to receive, believe, and attempt to hold others to a coordination of beliefs. My friend, this is sad and it's tragic truth for our churches. We've been operating with the same stiff neck, the same rebellion, and the same rejection that Israel was found to be doing when Jesus came. They determined that they would rather crucify Jesus than hear and adhere to truth. I'm convinced that we're doing the same in our day. It's every bit as much to our detriment as it was to theirs. But Peter begins the march to truth Concerning the approved works of Jesus, these works were approved by God. Don't you ever forget that fact. The word slain means that they took him and killed him. Obviously, upon death, a burial will follow. So Peter takes us through the first two phases of the approved works of God for Jesus. He would be crucified. He would be killed. Then he would be interned into the tomb. Verse 24 whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Then the third action of Jesus is described. He would raise from the dead. Death could have no hold on him. He would raise as the victoriously anointed Christ, who would plunder the kingdom of Satan. From there it does not appear that there was much that God could use except to retrieve the keys of death and hell. We don't know what the other plunder was. I've said at other times that talents that were given by God were taken back out of hell, but we do know that the largest part, the largest thing were these keys of death and hell. Of course, these were essential. Man would follow Jesus in the spirit world, 
He would go to the cross in the Spirit and find forgiveness. He would be healed in His Spirit. He would die to the flesh in the tomb. He would no longer fear death or hell and be given new clothing that would be by the force of the work that was accomplished by the Holy Spirit in Jesus in the region of the damned make the believer the righteous victor of which he was to become whenever he was in Christ Jesus. Death now has no ability to hold us in bondage or captivity. We're free from the consequences of hell. We deposit our sin nature in hell. We leave it there. We live in the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus and we're free. Now we're seeing all of this after Peter begins to speak on the works approved by God. That's what I want you to see. It's all right here in Acts chapter 2. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now David is speaking in the spirit here and he is speaking prophetically. He says he sees his Lord in verse 25. David also sees him uh, in this spiritual writing as the man in the Godhead, also in verse 25. As he states, for he is on my right hand and I shall not be moved. This will be referenced again by Peter shortly. In verse 26, there's some significant information. This refers to the work completed in the heart that happened at the cross. It refers to the work accomplished in the tongue from the release of the flesh that happened in the tomb. Look at it. Therefore did my heart rejoice. My tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. I have rested my flesh. My tongue is now speaking in control. Then in verse 27, again the work of the, deli of the deliverance from the region of the dam is referenced. Again by David. So we can clearly see the effects of the process of salvation. These effects are the plan that was approved by God for the grace growth of all who would believe. Then we see Romans 81, Paul speaking, there is, therefore there, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In Romans 8.1 we identify that there is a walk and that walk is in the spirit. That walk supersedes any walk that would ever be done in the flesh. Notice, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. We also identify that the walk in the spirit produces something. There is no condemnation to those who have come into the actions of the victoriously anointed Christ Jesus. As we pursue the spirit, and as we follow him as he follows Jesus, that's a critical comment, as we follow the Spirit as he follows Jesus, we come into each of these approved works. They grow us in the grace for which they have been made available. We replicate these actions and come into the image of his dear Son. This is the plan that God has approved. It is also the plan that God has led Peter 
to expound upon and preach to those who are attending in this great day of Pentecost. The message has always been here. It's always been embedded here. The truth of how we were to follow the approved plan of God has always been here. We're finding it in Peter's writing in 1 Peter. We're finding it in Jude's writing in Jude 1. Why is this? Well, so that we could clearly be able to see, identify, and follow the actions of Jesus Christ, the actions that the Spirit followed of Jesus Christ, and the availability that we were to follow the actions of Jesus in the Spirit. This is critical. We are following after the Spirit, and as we do, we find that we have no condemnation because when we follow the Spirit, the flesh is destroyed. Verse 28, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Jesus here is the one to whom this prophecy is attributed to. They're coming to us through David's words. Jesus has been made to know the ways of life. So, then, we must also be made to know these same ways. Jesus continues to speak. These ways of life will make me full of joy because they will ultimately lead me into a face-to-face -face encounter with your countenance, God. Jesus says, I will be in front of you and I will be in your presence. What happened when he came into the presence of his father? He first, coming through the tabernacle, became the high priest over his own sacrifice. There he sprinkled the blood on the vessels of ministry for those who would follow Jesus Christ, sanctified them, and called them brethren. This was the holy time in the holy place because in the pre-approved plan of God, the believer became a priest after the order of his Savior who is his high priest. Now Jesus could enter the throne room of God, not only enter, but have the, the precursor of the smoke that came from the altar of incense relate to all of heaven that Jesus Christ, who has defeated death, hell, and the grave, come back as a high priest, operated in the tabernacle, is about to, to make entrance into the throne room of God. What a mighty picture I've just posed. As the smoke went up from the sprinkling of blood, all heaven was aware. All heaven was ready to say, Worthy is the Lamb. Glory to God. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. All heaven sat ready for Jesus to cross the threshold into the Holy of Holies. Jesus enters the throne room of God and there he walks into the very presence of the Godhead. What happened? Well, they named him and declared him to be Lord. David, of course, has already referred to him 
in his spirit as Lord, but now in this face-to-face meeting in the throne room of God, God pronounced him Lord over everything. He exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You see, my friend, the pre-approved plan of God is all right here in Acts chapter 2. None of it's been left out of the writing and reading of this great book. Here is what he is because he was a man approved by God and he was the man that God set his stamp of approval upon. We are the ones who are lagging behind in understanding. We are the ones who do not understand what God has approved and who God has approved of, but even greater what works in him has he approved that are directed towards us. We are dismissing truth and diminishing the things that God has laid his approval upon. Verse 29, men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us this day, therefore being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ, and his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, wherefore we all are witnesses. So the works of Jesus has been prophesied and witnessed to. This has to be the plan of God, my friends. It has to be the axes of Jesus to which God has stamped his seal of approval upon. Therefore, 33, verse B, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted. There he is as Lord. And having received of the Father, now he's back in the Godhead receiving the promise of the Holy Ghost. He hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Now here is the question that we must reconcile ourselves to. Has Jesus come off the throne? Is Jesus no longer sitting on the throne? Is Jesus no longer at the right hand of majesty? Is Jesus no longer in the position to which he stated that he would go to, of which he was in from the foundation of the world? That's the question we have to answer. Because if he remains in his current position, if he's still sitting at the right hand of God, if he is still at the right hand of majesty, if he is still the man in the Godhead bodily, then my friend, not one act, not one work, not one tittle, not one jot has been changed from the pre-approved plan of God. None of it's been changed. None of it. We, we can put it into whatever doctrinal scheme of lies we want to put it into. We can ease it out of the way any way we want to. But if Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, 
the acts and works of which he released and re revealed that were the approved plan of God are as much approved as the plan of God today as they were when Jesus sat down. You cannot deny this. You cannot put your doctrine in opposition to this. Because if you do put your doctrine, then you are the one that has determined to disapprove of the thing, the works, that God has approved of. My friend, it makes no sense. It has no basis in Scripture. Because as long as verse 33 is still intact, and you're preaching it, and you're hearing it, as long as this verse still has Jesus at the right hand of God, God is not changing the activities of which he has approved of for the benefit of mankind. Therefore, being by the right hand of God. This is what Peter said. Exalted. Having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Peter reveals the sixth action that's been released into the believer because of the actions of Jesus Christ. My friend, has God changed? You're still preaching that he's on the throne. You're still teaching that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. And you do not have a foggy notion as to what that means in Scripture. You do not have any understanding that when he sat down there and put his feet up, everything was not only done, but it was in place and would remain until the coming of Jesus Christ. You are teaching a portion, a part, and don't understand the implications of what you're preaching. I'm trying to share it with you. I'm trying to show you out of Scripture why the approval of the things God has approved of is essential for your spiritual growth and your spiritual welfare. It will also be essential on the day when you stand before Jesus Christ. Because on that day, the message that you have given, the, the trumpet that you have sounded, will come under the scrutiny of the one who was the initiator of the actions and the works of which he personally designed and approved for the benefit of his people. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Minister to us, I pray, and open our eyes that we can see. We will give you praise and honor and glory for it all. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Father, we thank you today. Bless us in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. May God richly bless you. Find him as the man in the Godhead, my friend. There he's going to show you great and mighty things of which you need to know. May God bless you. We'll be speaking again on part four of this shortly. God bless you until we speak again.